Well, welcome to week two of what is everybody's favorite series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you're like me, you know, you know that uh, this has already been challenging, you know, and convicting as we've gone through this. If you're online, you know, like Nicole just mentioned a second ago, I'm going to be trying to answer questions all weekend long after every single service. So if you've got some texting questions, we do want to hear them as we struggle together, slowing down internally and externally. And one of the ways that we're trying to help you is by resourcing you and one of those ways is we have books, you know, that uh, are about this title by John Mark Comer called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. They are in our lobby, you know, for $20 or, you know, if you're watching online, you can grab it on Amazon, you know, as well. In fact, it was uh, humorous because I was reminded this week, we used to have a pastor on staff here by the name of Ryan Lingbloom. And when he first uh, received this, he received it uh, from Audible, uh, which is a way to listen to books, those of you guys who may be unfamiliar. And uh, he was able to listen to to this book at 1.5 or two times the speed in which uh, the author was actually professing this book. And then after about a chapter or two, he said, I think I'm missing the entire point, which I would agree, you know, Ryan, you missed the whole point in terms of trying to hurry up and get through the book. See, as we've talked about last week as a review, we all suffer from what's called hurry sickness. And we had six statements to be able to evaluate uh, how, where do we rank on this struggle that we might have. And, and by and large, most everybody said three or four. I did have some people after service or text me later said, I actually scored a seven or eight on this scale. And I don't know how that's possible, but it just shows me that we are all sick. Uh, in fact, if, if, if you uh, understand that we're trying to get uh, some of our knowledge, most importantly from God's word, but from some other authors, one of the authors, John Ortberg, uh, made this astounding find. In Time Magazine, it noted back in the 1960s, expert testimony was given to the subcommittee of the Senate on Time management. The essence of it was that because of the advances of technology that was taking place in the 60s and what they projected further, that within 20 years, by the mid-1980s, people would have to radically cut back on how many hours a week they worked or how many weeks a year they work, or they would have to actually start retiring sooner because there wasn't enough work to do. They said that the same productivity that they, they were accomplishing in the 1960s would only require in the 1980s from a 40-hour work week to a 32-hour work week, a four-day work week, and the ability to retire potentially for everyone by the age of 40. The great challenge, according to our government, they said, was what are people people going to do with all of their free time? They missed the mark just a little bit, didn't they? These technological advances. In fact, let's go back just a little further of how our culture has sped up. Did you know that at one point in the United States of America and even before that people actually got up when the sun rose and they actually started winding down when the sun set? So that would cause long and active summer times and short, more in-time winter times. In fact, uh, before Edison, who created the light bulb in 1879, the average person slept 11 hours a night. Today, the average person sleeps seven. Now, warp speed, 2007, our society had one of the greatest social shifts in history. Everything changed. This is the year historians will look back and 
tell us that we officially entered what's called the digital age. And this year, Steve Jobs released what's called the iPhone. This year, social media came onto the scene with what's called Facebook, and Twitter was actually invented. Before this year, I know this is going to sound crazy to the digital and the millennial generation, but before this year, not everyone had Wi-Fi or a smartphone. And now, we can barely imagine what would life be without that device on a regular basis. And it's not just technology that has sped up. Think about food. We used to cook our meals each night before we realized that wasn't fast enough. So what did we create? Microwaves or fast food. Now, notice what we call it. We don't call it good food. We don't call it cheap food. All we call it is fast food. Now, when fast food was actually introduced, do you know that people still had to park their car and they had to actually get out and they either ordered from a window or they actually had to go inside and then take their food to the table so that wasn't fast enough for us. We created what's called the drive through to enable families to eat in their vans just as God originally intended. Speaking of which, our vehicles is actually one of our favorite places where we actually try to multitask. See, hurry sick people may try to drive, eat, drink coffee, monitor the radio, shave, apply makeup. Yep, I've seen it all happen as I've been driving here on I-90. Talk on the cell phone, hands-free of course, and make gestures, not always the pleasant kind, all at the same time. Or, if you've seen this, they may try to watch television, read, check Facebook on their phones, eat dinner, and carry on a conversation simultaneously. Anybody want to admit? Any raise of the hands? You want to put that in the chat that you might have participated in that? And, and, and some of you, you know, are so hurry sick and you're at, you're living at such a pace that God never intended that as soon as our services are almost done, you're already walking out of the building. I mean, we still have a closing song, but as soon as I say amen, you're like, I'm out. Why? Because you got to hurry up and get in your van and go get your fast food, just like we talked about. Now, businesses, here's the crazy part. Businesses know our obsession with not just hurry, but perceived hurry where we can slow down. What I mean is uh, groups like Fred Meyer have spent multi-million dollars evaluating the speeds of their checkout lines so that they can reduce a perception of us actually getting through lines faster with up to 20 seconds or up to a minute where people walk out because they've done all the studies feeling like they've actually gained time. This is just a fraction of how we're living in a society that's pushing this idea of actually going forward with this idea of hurry sickness. Now, again, we're not just talking about being efficient or we're not talking about having a lot on your plate. Jesus had a ton on his plate. It's when you have so much on your plate that the only way to get through life is when you find yourself hurrying externally or you feel yourself internally hurrying. Again, hurry is not a fast-paced or disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered, overly anxious and worried heart that gets demonstrated in how we live. In fact, one of the 
uh, most famous uh, uh, Bible stories, you know, that you've heard on this, you know, comes when Jesus uh, attempts to walk into, with his 12 dudes, by the way, unannounced to the home of Mary and Martha. So Martha frantically starts getting things together, and Mary, her sister, instead of helping with the chores and helping get dinner ready, she decides to sit at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She's not wrong, but notice what happens. She comes to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sit around here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. I love it, because isn't that what we do as kids to mom and dad? You know, it's just not fair, and yet they're going to Jesus like, Jesus, this isn't fair. Why does she get to sit down, and I've got all of these things to prepare? Now, she's not wrong. Does a meal need to be prepared? Yeah. Do things need to be you know, taken care of? Absolutely. It wasn't the task that was the issue. It was the heart reflected in the task that Jesus was addressing. The Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset about all of these details, but there is only one thing, one thing that you should be concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. It won't be taken away from her. See, what's, what's fascinating is we're going to go through these next four weeks and discover what Mary discovered. We're going to put into practice, at least we're going to be challenged to put into practice, an alternative, countercultural, God-centered way of actually living life. But it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel different. And that's actually a really good thing. Uh, speaking of uh, different, by the way, I just need to make one last side but important note. Last week, uh, I got hammered by some of you about uh, how I made fun of running um, and how running is not biblical and Jesus walked everywhere he went. And so people reminded me, they even threw scripture at me. Don't you remember the verse, Dan, you know, that all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Well, I, I had a very... Um, Christ-like centered person, you know, who came to me and reminded me and sent me this meme, you know, this week. And here's the, here's the meme. I wanted to go jogging, but Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked run when no one is chasing them. So there's that. So I win, you lose, you know, once again, when it comes to this idea that running is not biblical. Okay, so here we go. Understand again, the core of Christianity is about relationship. It's about loving God and loving others. And as we said, love and hurry are incompatible. It's an oxymoron. You cannot love and hurry well at the same time. And so if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So many of us want the results of what Jesus provides without actually following him. Uh, by a show of hands and also you know, online, have you ever played the, the game Follow the Leader? Raise your hands. Have you ever played the game Follow the Leader? Okay, it's an older game, and I know it's not a video game, so some people can't relate, but the way the game actually works is that somebody designates themselves or somebody else says, you're the leader, and you are supposed to follow whatever the leader says or does in a mimic fashion. If they it's raise their hand, you raise your hand. If they raise their left hand, you raise their left hand. If they say something, you're supposed to say something. If they take a walk, you're supposed to take a walk. You're supposed to follow the leader. A little bit like Simon says, but it just kind of goes on and on and on. If you're a follower of Jesus, we must, must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives because by definition, 
We can't move faster than the one we are following. And oftentimes, when I do, or when we do, is when we find ourselves in a world of hurt. Because we think we know better than the leader. And we move faster than the way the leader is leading, especially in our culture. So my challenge for us is can we commit the next 30 days to new habits, or some would call them disciplines. In fact, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but a discipline is any activity I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort. Let me give you an example. If you are a weightlifter and you get in the gym and you're like, I want to bench press 250 pounds and you are unable to bench press 250 pounds, there is a discipline that you can do in the gym that will work you up over time by effort to do later what you're unable to do now. So for us, as we enter this, I'm going to give you four things that Jesus modeled that go countercultural to this hurry pace that we find ourselves caught in internally and externally. As we do those things, as a byproduct, we're going to be able to arrive at some areas in our lives that we are unable to be at in our current pace. That's what discipline actually looks like. That's what habits do. In fact, habits, habits enhance relationships. There are things that you can do in relationships with other people that as a byproduct, your relationship grows and it deepens. Let me give you a couple examples. I date my wife every single week as much as possible. And I have to calendarize it, and I gotta put it on Friday, and this is our time together. Do you know what that does for our relationship to have that regular connection? Now, let me tell you what doesn't work. That being the only connection with my wife the entire week. Okay, that's weird. You know, that the only time I say hi, the only time we connect and that kind of stuff. So there has to be regular daily interaction on a regular habitual basis that actually enhances the relationship. There's weekends that we go off together. There's marriage stuff that we focus on. Like we went through this previous series called the Ram series. You know, this real relationship series that we took, you know, you know from, you know, and understood the importance that relationships, if not worked at, naturally tend to fall away that you actually have to spend time to enhance these relationships, and it's the same with God. So here's the four things that we're gonna cover. The four disciplines, the four habits. Silence, solitude. Silence and solitude, that's one. Number two, Sabbath. Number three, simplicity. And number four, slowing. Those are gonna be the four. So to, on this day, we're gonna do silence and solitude. And we wanna look again at the life of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter one. Because in Mark chapter one, you're gonna see that Jesus probably had one of the longest days of his life. The day you know, doesn't start here, but let me kind of give you some background. Jesus just gets baptized by John, and after baptism, he was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now that word desert doesn't just mean, I always thought if you go into a desert, I think Arizona, I think you know sand, I think hot, but that doesn't mean what we think it means. That Greek word for what we have translated as desert is eramos. Say eramos. Eramos. It can be translated as desert, desert place, desolate place, solitary place, lonely place, quiet place, and wilderness. See, sometimes we think when we read that Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil, that he was actually at his weakest point in his life. 
But could it be that the wilderness isn't his weakness, but it's actually a place of strength? We actually had the strength to do what he was able to do. In fact, um, I, I took a group of guys. Once a year, we take a group of guys you know, up into Montana, and we spend 36 hours together. We call it actually a wilderness retreat, where we actually kind of get away. And if you talk to some of these guys, we ask them to get away by themselves for three hours. Let me tell you how frightening that is for most guys who are driven and type A. You're like, wait a minute. You're going to send me in the woods with a Bible and maybe a notepad for three hours and I'm supposed to survive? And they come back and to a man that's always, I cannot believe how fast that actually went and how filling it truly is. Because that's what the wilderness, that's what silence and solitude actually provide in our lives. Now if you keep going in Mark 1, I want you to show you how busy Jesus got. First thing he does, he walks along the shore of Galilee and he calls his disciples. Then he decides to cast out an evil spirit. People hear about him casting out an evil spirit and Jesus goes from an unknown to a celebrity rock star overnight. And then as people are hearing about this, he gets told by his disciples, Peter specifically, that his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus goes and heals her. That's a long day. Okay, just imagine that day. I, I know for me, I go through one or three services on Sunday and I'm like, I'm tired. He had a whole day of this and yet Jesus had a priority. He knew a secret when it came to doing the busyness of life where his strength would come. And we read about it in Mark 1 verse 32. That evening, first after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. <laughs> so Jesus is like, all right, winding down. I just healed you know, Peter's mother-in-law, and now I get some rest. And knock, 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 the entire town is at his door. And so what does he do? He actually then heals them. He begins to spend more and more time. Now imagine how exhausted Jesus is. So what is his next move? Mark 1.35. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. You know that word, isolated in the Greek? Guess what? Eremos. It's Eremos, again. Later, Peter and the others try to find him and they say, hey, everybody's looking for you. Jesus says, okay, now is the time for me to actually go preach in other towns. He knew what was going to help him recover from his crazy busy day and he knew what the strength he was going to get for what the day, the next day was going to go and it was going to be retreating from the work of ministry to spend silence and solitude with the king, with the God of the universe. Okay, or how about this different time in the life of Jesus and his followers? In Mark chapter 6, verse 30, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. So Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. That word rest a while, quiet place, eremos, same word translated in a different way. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and the apostles didn't even have time to eat. Been there? Right? If you're a parent, the answer is yes. If you work in a high-stress environment, 
whether it's in education or healthcare or business, you've had stressful days where the day starts getting away from you and you're working, working, working so much that you don't even have time to eat. I love this story because it's real life, that Jesus and his disciples had that pace as well. But what was the solution? It wasn't, hey, let's go to a bar and hang out, or let's watch Netflix and chill, let's do all this other kind of stuff, whatever. He didn't say any of that stuff. What he said was, let's go away with me and get some rest. In fact, in Luke, in the book of Luke, you know, in nine times, nine different times, it says this, Jesus often went to a lonely, isolated, eremos place to pray that he understood, even without the technology that was around, that the pace of life, God in human form, was just too much. See, Jesus lived the value of first things first. He understood this, which is why he's able to tell us in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. We have got to put first things first. The busier we are, here's what's counterculture, the more time we need in isolation and solitude. Solitude does not mean that I am lonely. Solitude, I'm talking about connecting with God. In fact, the famous Martin Luther, he's famous for saying, I have so much to do today that I must spend an extra hour with my God. So much, you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem like, if you got so much to do, what do we do? We jump in and we tackle those things. And Martin Luther says, no, 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 the strength is actually gonna come when I actually spend more time in silence and solitude. See, silence and solitude is an external and an internal quiet. And Jesus modeled this time and time and time again. In fact, uh, (laughs) I went on one of these one time and I hated it. Just absolutely hated it. There was uh, three days, I asked our elders, I said, hey, is there a place I can go and just, I'm gonna do this silence and solitude thing. And, and, And the first hour, I was just like, this is awful. Why would anybody ever do this? And then another hour and another hour, and you're just like, it's just pain. Because all of a sudden, I am slowing down and the adrenaline is coming off, and, and my thoughts are actually coming to the surface, and then there's some ugliness that's there. You see, what happens is when we start to engage in this, we are so fearful of silence because it begins to expose some stuff inside of our hearts and minds that we kind of know is there, but we don't want to deal with it. But here's what I can promise you, is if you keep pushing through that, you find yourself feeling and experiencing something that most of us don't experience on a regular basis. When we take this time of silence and solitude. One of my good friends who's also a pastor in the Arizona area said this, the noise of our modern world is making us deaf to the voice of God. Noise is everywhere. In fact, you remember a couple weeks ago, if you were here online or on site, you know that Steve Allen started his service. I thought he was having a heart attack because he didn't talk. And it was just awkward for everybody. We're like, uh, is he okay? Is the mic working? All that kind of stuff. And he did it on purpose just to show us and have us feel what it's like to sit in silence and how it's so hard. I mean, I even have a hard time in my car just not having something going on all the time. 
Even at stoplights, maybe, maybe you're like me and I just quickly just check the weather. I check you know, my phone. Did anybody text anything? Do I need to quickly text somebody else? And then I put it back in its, in its you know, place and then I'm on to the next light and being able to do that. And I don't think I'm alone because I look over and you're doing the same thing. We're all doing that on a regular basis. See, Jesus made time. He didn't have time. He put first things first. You see, we always have time for what we value the most. Think about it in your life. We always do. In fact, you might not realize how much time you actually have. They've done studies recently on our screen times, and uh, you'll notice that your screen time, the number one uh, time or day in which you spend more time on your screens and devices is on your day off. You're like, wait a minute, isn't the day off supposed to be this time of recouping and refreshing? And we think by going to places of escape provides that. And what Jesus is saying is, no, that's not where you're going to find the rest that you're needing for your soul that helps us to live the balanced life. See, we always have time, like I said, for what we value most. If we value work, we spend our margin or extra time at work. If we value our hobbies, we will spend margin or time on those hobbies. Family, time or margin on the family. Your business, time or margin. Even the church, time or margin at the church. And many of you have seen or this illustration or heard before, but I thought it's worth bringing back again. When you put first things first, the way that God actually wired us, it's amazing how all the other things fall into the right place as it pertains to our heart and our activity. Why don't you check out this video with me now? time I see that or have done that, it just reminds me that it really is true, that if you put the large rocks in first, everything seems to fit. When you try to put everything in, it never seems to work out. We need to put first things first. See, when we prioritize silence and solitude before God, over time, you and I will experience internal peace and rest. We just will, regardless of our circumstances. Which is why then we can read a famous Bible verse like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Is that true in our lives? It's only true when we actually take the time in silence and solitude for him to do that in our hurried lives. Then he will take us as we follow the leader that wants to provide these things in our lives. He will take us on this journey, which is why we've said that this is the core passage for our series. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, if we don't create the discipline of time with God through solitude and silence, we will find ourselves with a mediocre version of Christianity. Henry Nouwen, famous author, once said this, without solitude, 
It is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. Like I told you, if Satan doesn't tempt us when it comes to sin, to, to fall, for, in terms of our following God, what he'll do is he'll make us busy. He'll distract us from those things. So let's get practical. How do we do this? How do we do silence and solitude? If that's the goal, how do we do this? Ashley you know, also said this, we do not rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. Systems support the goals in our lives. In other words, if you have a goal to get in shape, that's great. But if you don't have a system that says, here's the days, the times, the hours, the accountability that I'm gonna walk through that's gonna help me accomplish the goal, you and I will never accomplish the goal we set out without the systems in place that help us to support the goal. That's what we're talking about here that we need to calendarize it, we need to prioritize it, to put first things first, knowing that many of us are driven by our calendars, you have within the power of your hand an opportunity to place that first thing first in our lives. So as we close, your next step, here's where it gets practical and it gets real, goes from information to transformation when we get to apply what we've just heard. Every day this week, I'm gonna ask you to set aside silence and solitude to be with God. How do we do this practically? You gotta pick a time. You gotta pick a location. You gotta pick a study. A study could be a, a version Bible app study. It could be a book in the Bible. There's some sort of study that you're gonna pick. Grab a pen. Grab a journal. And, a, and make sure you find a spiritual partner, somebody that you can do this with on a regular basis. And if you put it in your schedule, and again, if you've never done this before, I'm gonna challenge you to do this for 15 minutes, maybe even 30 minutes. Just kind of block that time. Get your coffee, get your lattes, whatever, and sit down and spend time with the God of the universe and see what happens. For those of you who do this on a regular basis, here's my challenge for you. Up it. If you're used to doing it, 10, 15, 20 minutes, up it. If you're like, well, Dan, I've got small kids. Well, you're not gonna do it when the kids are earlier up in the morning, are you? But if you've got small kids, here's what I know. They usually go to bed earlier than older kids. I've had both. You know, I, it's funny because I, I was telling my son, Alex, this week, I'm like, hey, you know, one of the things I wanna work on together is I wanna do devotions, you know, together. I want us to have a sit down together. We're gonna walk through scripture, you know, together. And before, I used to do it and say goodnight. So this time, I said, we're gonna do it and you're gonna say goodnight to me because that's kind of the stage and age, you know, that he's at. He stays up way later than he probably should, you know, in, when, it, when it comes to this. See, my hope for all of us, guys, is that we would actually do this. So here's what I want you to do. Whether you're watching online, whether you're in the room, I'm gonna give you 30 seconds. 30 seconds of silence. And what we're gonna do is in our minds, we're gonna put this game plan together. Now, I'm gonna give you permission, you know, in this silence to actually talk if you so choose. If you'd rather just sit in silence and process through how am I gonna apply this, great. If you wanna talk to the person next to you and say, look, this is when, where, and what, that's great. If you're doing this at home, this is a perfect time to even push pause or whatever you can do on the TV in order for this to become real. We're not just talking about this. We need to do this in our lives if we wanna ruthlessly eliminate hurry. So here's 30 seconds for you.
Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for just your son's model, an example of what it means, step one, to reduce hurry in our lives. Father, we can be busy and efficient and, and yet still have this, this unnatural pace internally and externally. And so help us this week when it comes to silence, when it comes to solitude, that we might create this time and this season. Help us, Father, to do this. And as we do it, we know it's gonna be uncomfortable. We know it even might be harder at first, but over time, Lord, we trust that your word is true and we're gonna see these things take place in our lives. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.